0: I had no choice. I had to succeed. I had to do something. I went to the lowest job I could possibly find and worked my way up. Tried to start a business. Didn't pay enough money. I had to go and do jobs I didn't want to do. Don't wait until you step in it. Just step in it and figure out how to move on from there. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation
1: for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven. I've got a, a Marine with a special and unique perspective about the phone that you have in your hand and the technology that is on that phone. And so I'm excited about bringing you a unique perspective about how screw-ups, how mistakes, how mishaps, and potentially unforeseen outcomes play a role actually in the success that you're chasing out there in the business world. And so John Rocher from Handsome in Austin, Texas, and don't let it fool you, just because the name of his company is Handsome doesn't mean that he does not have a face for radio. John is, no, I'm just messing with him. hes He has been gracious enough with his time today to talk with us about the topic of failure and success and the relationship between the two and how it relates to something as honestly as sensitive as uh, as technology, people's data, and how that gets stored in the infrastructure behind it. John, I'd appreciate you taking some time to spend some time with our audience and spend some time with me to talk about all of those things. So how in the hell are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah. And thanks for having me on. Uh,
0: the topic is interesting. Uh, the audience is interesting and uh, I've enjoyed my conversations with you so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, some of what you've enjoyed, let's be honest. I mean, we talk a little bit about, you know, some time in the military. So we have some commonalities between us. And uh, I ran a service-based business for a short period of time down in the Austin, Texas area. Are you still in Austin?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in Austin. The company's headquartered here. Almost all the employees are here in Austin, working from home right now, obviously, but we have an office. Everybody's here in
1: Austin your office is set up to build and and scale mobile apps and and that technology for businesses. And I don't want to be presumptuous and, and mischaracterize it in a way, but you know, even a business that's set up like that, how has this impacted you?
0: Yeah, I have to say that we're probably from a day to day work life and work style perspective one of the least impacted. We do work in an office. We made the decision to invest in a big fancy design agency office. Um, not like the one you you saw, <laughs> which, which was a closet. So, so stepping stones. Well, we're on a large step now. We have a really nice office spend a lot of money in. On. So I believe in the value of, being, of people being in a physical space together, especially for collaboration, culture, things like that. But that's a nice to have that we could afford. It would definitely wasn't necessary. And so I feel very fortunate compared to most small businesses in the country right now where we're mostly fine. I'd say in some ways we're more productive. It definitely favors a certain personality type and a certain home situation. And so I think overall we're more productive. I would say that long-term culture, we're going to have to figure something else out for culture, but productivity wise and just the kind of
1: day-to-day we're actually doing, I don't know, I hate to say it, we're kind of doing better in some ways. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, from that traditional point of view, there's a perspective that unless you can see work being done, or unless you're in the same office, similar to what you were talking about to develop culture, this could be the new culture going forward. I mean, do you foresee that happening in businesses that maybe don't necessarily work in the same industry there in Austin?
0: Yeah, I think so for sure. There are a lot of reasons for it, but even back to, to what I said, we we spend a lot of money on our on our office and. If we can prove that we're just as productive and quality of the work and quality of culture, quality of ability to attract and retain talent, those things that are the big drivers of our business, if we can see that those things stay high while not in the office, then you can make an argument for the office being a waste of money. That's not the only argument, but that's a very simple and very compelling way to think of it. So, yeah, I think that there is a lot of efficiency to gain financially, if not also productivity wise, by having a, a workforce that is either fully
1: remote, remote optional or uh, some of something in between. That's interesting. You know, that's an ode back to where you came from. How You said that we, we came by and we happened to see a, a closet space. Even still, it was a very, very productive, fast-moving, high-paced environment. I remember uh, walking into your office, and I, I would talk about, for those of you who are listening, who are unfamiliar, East Austin hasn't necessarily been, from a historical perspective, as robust in terms of infrastructure and investment up until the recent, maybe five to 10 years, would you say, John, that there's been more of a significant investment on that side of, of 35? Definitely, yep. Yeah, for those of you who are who are not as familiar, when you go back and and you look at at where his office is located, it's uh it's amazing what's changed around him and how even I mean prior to the COVID crisis, there was been significant investment into that area, and so it's it's a cool, fun, and kind of a neat place to work. So, uh, the investment was a very very well spent. But I get that also leads me to my next question: going in from the military, from your perspective as a special forces operator, going from where you were to now then starting a, a civilian career, what was one time where you kind of stepped on a cow patty searching for what you were going to do uh, where you didn't anticipate, you thought it was a very well thought out, very perfectly formed plan, then all of a sudden it just kind of blew up in your face a little bit, or you realized that you had a little bit of poop on your shoe, for lack of a better phrase.
0: It's a, it's a really good question, and specific, specifically in that time frame, trying to think about an example. So I was, I was Marines, I wasn't in wasn't Special Forces, so uh, I was in light armor reconnaissance, but I left the Marines after four years. I knew when I went in that I was going to be four years, do my deployments and then get out. Um, and I remember on my way out of the Marines uh, meeting with the captain, my uh, my company and trying to get me to reenlist. And I'd already made it in my mind. So I wasn't disrespectful about it, but it was a hard no. I remember them telling me it was it was a tactic a bit. Um, and, and he was maybe fired up a little bit. It said, you know, there's it's you're you're gonna get out and if you don't if, if you're going to fail and you're either going to fail and come back and give up this re enlistment money. Uh he's being a bit of a jerk, but I, I get I get why. Um so you're either gonna you're gonna fail and you're gonna you're gonna come back and you're gonna give up this reenlistment money, or you're gonna fail and it's gonna be too late. You're gonna be too old, too fat, and you're not gonna be able to come back into the Marines and you're gonna be homeless. And that's, I'm pretty much verbatim. There was no mincing of words in that office that day. And, uh, and I, that just gave me, you know, that's the, that's the perfect thing I needed to hear. Uh, to be like, okay, good. Well, I won't let that happen. Think, thanks for letting me know what not to do. Um, and so then I got out and by the time I left the Marines, I already had a mortgage on a house here in Austin and no job, no, no, no plan lined up. So I threw myself, like I didn't, I didn't step in it. I threw myself in it face first. (laughs) And that set the course for me. I don't think I had this mindset before, but it's the the sink or swim mindset. And so I I had no choice. I had to succeed. I had to do something. And I also had to have an exit plan. And so I knew that, well, if, if things don't work out and I can't afford this place, then I have to do something. And so I tried thing after thing. I started, I went to the lowest job I could possibly find and worked my way up and tried to start a business, didn't pay enough money. I had to go and do jobs I didn't want to do, but it taught me how to fight out of something. That's been my mindset, is don't wait until you step in it, just step in it and figure out how to move on from there.
1: Have you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason, so do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process, helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcast. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process, and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I How do I do that? Well. You essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory, and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So you can get in touch with us, Stephen at Knucklehead Podcasts. Or if you got a really cool story, Stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions LLC. And get in touch with us. Don't be a bait about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know, preventing you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us See you. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Two things that I heard from that scenario is you were able to realize that somebody was being a jerk. However, that they weren't being that, that they aren't a jerk, right? That they, they're trying to essentially massage, use offensive maneuvers to get you into a, uh, you know, a position to orient your behavior and potentially back you into a corner. And it sounds as if uh, fight or flight, Kicked in, and you decided to fight, um, which I can appreciate. I can appreciate that 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 thought process. The the what ends up happening, and, and you can go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I've seen it. I've seen it happen for more than just my story. Uh, those who fight in today's you know in today's world, where not necessarily every corporation is set up to deal with that, but there are corporations that are set up to uh, to not respond very well to folks that fight. And what I mean by that is. Uh, it does ruffle some feathers. It creates some tension in the office, right? There's some external forces that are that try to tamp down creativity, to, so to speak. Uh, if folks don't fall in line and fall in order, and I, I just i I got to ask you because it seems if and maybe I'm off base in saying this, but it seems as if you don't necessarily need a, a perfectly made bed in order to sleep okay. You, you're okay with uh, a little bit of disruption. Is that a mischaracterization, or do you think that that's a fair? way to say, it that's
0: true. Uh, but I what what I've Learned is that I'm not the only one in the bed, so it's another thing that I've learned is that just because I have a certain style doesn't mean that it works for everyone else. And I know that if I if I want to accomplish the bigger mission, I need to create an environment where different types of people who need different levels of bed being made in order to sleep uh, are comfortable. One of the traps though that that did I find myself falling into a lot with that then is the martyr syndrome, I guess, where I. I sleep on the floor so that other people can sleep in the nicely made bed. Also something that doesn't scale and not good behavior. You might think that you're doing a good job. It's kind of the the hero behavior. Maybe that helps you get off the ground, but it's something that you're going to have to wise up about as you grow as a leader.
1: Well, For those who aren't familiar with with what your design agency does or uh, the way that you go to market with with a service offering like Handsome, first of all, Phenomenal title, by the way. I do love handsome. Not just a way to describe the apps, because I understand that there's, you know, there's that. However, I think it's a fantastic title. Because in my in my mind, I call myself a knucklehead just as a self-deprecating way to say, hey, listen, if you think that you're not going to make some knucklehead moves on your way to success, then essentially you're not we're not speaking the same language. But anyway, I, I appreciate the handsome being a title. But for those of you who aren't necessarily familiar with what you do, can you describe what it is that you do and how there's an opportunity to really screw some things up along the way if you don't get it right?
0: Uh, Sure. So we're a design agency. We focus mostly on designing brands and brand experiences. And we've developed specialization that is based around the fact that the majority of brand experiences these days happen on some kind of technology platform, some kind of digital product, app, website, combination of the two, some kind of kiosk in the store that you touch your app to. I mean, if you can think about it, that the brand is providing this experience for their customers, their consumers, but technology is the is, the, is what it sits on, essentially. And so what we care about is designing experiences. But in order to do that, we have to be good at the technology side so that we can design those experiences. We have to be good at the brand and brand strategy side so that we know what that experience should be, what's, being, what's trying to be communicated. So clients ask us to whether it's a brand new company or it's a brand new product for an existing company, come up with the brand, come up with what that customer experience should be, how it should work and then design it and then develop it and build it on digital products, digital platforms, e-commerce, mobile apps, all, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, And so in a sense, there's a lot of pressure because we are taking a large amount of an investment from a company, figuring out what the strategy should be, executing on that strategy, launching it out into the world and saying, all right, let's turn it on, see if it runs. (laughs) You know, obviously, and so, yes, it it is that simple. Uh, There's a lot of risk, a lot of pressure, a lot of opportunity to make a mistake, a lot of risk. And so our whole business really is built around, and what we get paid to do is to mitigate, minimize, uh, compartmentalize and and, and plan for that risk. Yeah, I, I, I say, you know, all of business, really all of life, but all of business is guesswork. It's just a, it's an estimation, it's a guess, it's an experiment. At best, it's an experiment. because it's an experiment is set up to measure failure until you get it right. Um, and so if business is guesswork, the best way you can approach that is by an experimentation methodology. And that's what my whole business is about. What should we do? Why? How do we make sure that's the right thing to do? What happens if it fails? How are we going to iterate? and we apply that that methodology and mindset to you know corporate scenarios and 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 software
1: and things like that. So as a industry starts to evolve that means that there's actually players in the industry that that are better than others at doing certain things. However, there's also folks with good BS detectors uh, that are out there. So In in your mind, can you think of an opportunity, or can you think of a time where you thought that you had the risk measured out exactly the way it was supposed to? uh, You were fairly confident in the way that the distribution was going to work, and then all of a sudden, it went differently than what you anticipated. And you don't necessarily have to go into the brand experience and the actual uh, scenario, but can you think of a time where you learned more through the pain of failure because somebody didn't, maybe somebody didn't pick up on something ahead of time, or there wasn't a customer survey that was done the right way that. What I'm thinking of is a competitor coming in and trying to misinform you during that process and kind of threw you off a little bit. I don't know if that happens.
0: No, not no, not from a competitor perspective. But there are plenty of examples where we went very far down the process of developing out a product to find in to to, to finally do testing or to have testing happen once it's live uh, to find out that it was a, a, a bad a bad investment. Um, you can make a bad investment in the feature. You can make a bad investment in an entire product or entire business. Um, and we've had plenty of examples like that. I, you know, I think of one where, um, everyone, this was, this was a service that, uh, started online from, from a user experience perspective. You start on on the website, you, you book your thing, you arrive and you pick up your thing. And, uh, we were going to use technology to, to streamline that process uh, well, just to, to eliminate steps in the process overall and have technology facilitate it to the humans. And, you know, it was a, it was a brilliant idea. We got very excited about being able to solve that problem technology wise, being able to have your phone talk to another object and know where it is and recognize it, authenticate whether you are who you say you are and things like that. So we got really excited about the technology. We got really excited about the prospect of this this being a possibility and the competitive advantage that was going to give that client over other uh of other, other similar offerings and um, went far down the path. I, you know, I'd say six months, uh, six hundred, seven hundred thousand worth dollars $700,000 worth of money and time on developing out this set of features that would facilitate that. Basically, you know, launched it alpha uh, version into the market and then um, found out very quickly that the human touch that we worked so hard and spent so much money to eliminate out of this process was very much needed. And so we could have, you know, we put the person back in that step of the process, the the concierge type person, and uh, eliminated a lot of the hard work and hard investment that we did. And things started to work out well um, and and was successful. So it was a big hypothesis. We could have definitely seen ahead that that was going to fail if we had tested properly. We got too
1: excited about the fact that we could do it and forgot to ask whether we should do it. Absolutely. absolutely. well, you 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 took my question and were able to provide a different perspective, which is really what your process is able to surface is. hey, Have you looked at it from this point of view? And oh, if you haven't, let's ask a few other folks and and collect some uh, some market research out there to to make sure that, I mean, you're validating us, the all of these assumptions. And I loved how you said that, you have this propensity, or not you, but the organization can sometimes go down this lane, thinking this feature is the biggest change or the biggest value add to that particular product. And it turns out, you actually need the human. You need the human.
0: Yeah, I mean another another funny example of that. It's it's smaller impact, but it's really funny. And I use this a lot. Is similar story. Uh, we developed this w- this method for someone to check in to a certain spot. Uh, okay. A th- truck was going to come into to pick up some, some work, uh, and, uh, and the person driving the check- truck needed to check in. And we developed out this, this system with using RFID where the phone could recognize a certain chip and things like that for, for the time, this was, you know, four or five years ago, very advanced stuff at the time, um, worked on it, built it out, found that uh, certain, certain places weren't adopting it. And they had instead just put a sign on a stake and it solved the problem better than this really expensive piece of technology, a piece of paper on a wooden sign that got changed every day at the cost of a dollar. So we, so we tell clients who come to us and say, I want this, I want, I want an app that does ABC, and how much does that cost? And we can't help but say, are, are you sure that that's what you need? Because what you could need mm-hmm. is a piece of paper on a wooden post, and that's not a joke. Um, as, far, as much as we want technology to solve all of our problems, um i think technology is a is an innovative
1: solution to a problem it doesn't have to be an app or a piece of software it could be a piece of paper on a, on a wooden post you bring up several interesting points one of which uh, that's been consistent throughout this entire conversation john is typically the solution is just a different way to look at things and so that different way of looking at things could be facilitated through technology or to the point of your last example a piece of paper on a stick so i love the simplicity behind uh, the message Let's walk through this last scenario and kind of land on the plane this way. The majority of the folks that listen to this particular podcast are coming from a military background. They have aspirations to uh, to run a business or they have ran a business before and it's not scaling the way that they would like to. Or they've listened to it. They've been on the show before uh, and they're on to essentially their, their second business, but that second business is a little bit different than their, their previous one that they've successfully exited. And so we, we get questions all the time about as these changes in marketplace take place, how would you go back and, and structure your business differently? Or how would you set up your business differently uh, to prevent some of maybe some of the mistakes or screw ups that you had in your first few years that you can talk about that you learned from, or did the mistake actually teach you something that you were thankful that you went through it?
0: So one of the things that we're going through right now in the business is what I'm calling a, a remodel. Um, and we're just really blowing it all up, um, taking all the pieces that come out. So we're not necessarily throwing anything away. But we're blowing it up and starting over. COVID has allowed us to have that kind of focus. It was thrust upon us with some changes um, on, on, on the client side and then also with the time that we have being at home and not in meetings and things like that. And so we've taken this as an opportunity to really rethink the business from a, a foundational, fundamental perspective and then from an operational perspective. And what we're doing now that we should have done a long time ago is, is operate this business. Again, we're a services-based business. Clients come to us for a specific service that, we, that they think we're good at and we can deliver that service for a fee. And that is operating on the principle that the business should be shaped and sized based on the demand for the work that we want to be doing. And so in order to arrive at that, you have to first say, what is the work you want to be doing? And then you have to be disciplined enough to say no to work that isn't the work you want to be doing, even if it means you don't grow. I mean, turn, that means turning away work in, in no other way. That, that, is, that means turning away work. That means turning away money but you might grow slower. Um, you might shrink before you grow again. Um, but when you do grow, you'll have, you will be the right, the shape that you want. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing, you know, it's a long way of saying, be very clear with yourself about what work you want to do. Um, and then turn away work that doesn't fit that model. And you will have what, what you know, you will build from a foundation that is a lot more true to the reason why you started the business. And uh, we're eight years in, so started the agency eight years ago. And it's not like any of these are, are, are revelations or things that we didn't know before. We just simply weren't strict, uh, we didn't have that discipline. The idea of growing slow or the idea of not taking on that six, seven figure deal. And instead, turning it away was just not even an option to us. Uh, the idea of having to lay people off because we didn't have enough demand at this moment for, for exactly the kind of work we want to be doing was never an option for us. Um, I still hate to do that. And I'm, I'll do everything I can not to do that. But simply is we we grew the we grew this business under a false sense of demand for what we truly wanted to be selling. Because we had demand for things that were adjacent or, you know, we weren't exactly at that core. And we took that work and we got to a certain size and like, hey, look how big we are. Look how fast we're growing. But in reality, we weren't truly fulfilled. And it also wasn't sustainable because that's not what we set out to sell. So that's the biggest thing that I've learned um, most recently. And the thing that I would do differently if I went back, I'd say, hey, slow down. Be true to your core and grow from a true core, not from a
1: spreading out of anything that you could sell to anyone. That's a very hard thing to admit when you're talking about a business that's eight years old and you wish in a way you would have turned away some projects. That's a that's a bold statement, John. Kudos to you for for going through that process because that's any business owner that's out there that can talk with integrity about turning away business is a solid win. and Especially when you characterize it in a way to say, is this the type of work that we want to be doing? And to, to have a conflated view of demand, and building your service offering around what you perceive that demand to be is—that's uh, an incredibly insightful takeaway. And I love how you—you you threw it out there. You're like, ah, oh, it's nothing really insightful. It's—it's actually very insightful. It's—it's it's very difficult to have to go through that process.
0: It's one of those things that is, you know, in hindsight, it's common sense. It's—it's a, it's a simple concept. It doesn't mean that it's easy to do. Um, it's actually very hard to do. It's very hard to turn it anyway, especially as a new, I mean, a first-time business owner. Have big deals coming our way, you know. Great work in some aspects, terrible work in other aspects. We kind of make excuses for it, you know. they could always justify taking on work, and you know, it's not that I'm not grateful for any of the work that we've had over the years. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are without it. But I think there's just there's a lot of power in defining to yourself what your core is. What is, what is your core goal, um, and then what is core about you that you're going to use to achieve that goal, and then being strict. Um, if you can't succeed at at being at, at the thing that you set out to do, then either change what you're setting out to do and be true to that or
1: be honest with yourself that you're not actually successful. I like it. That's a bitter pill swallow. So for those of you who are listening, uh, John talked about. Uh, essentially the formation of of his particular business and maybe the journey uh, to get there uh, he took the scenic route I, I would i would like to characterize it that way and i like being able to uh, to talk with folks who who honestly put Bets on themselves the way that uh, the way that he did may not necessarily uh, have felt like it at the time. Whenever your back's you know against a corner and you have a mortgage on your house without necessarily the plan that you're looking for and to work some of the jobs that you worked. What was the what was your least favorite job that you had to do before you started handsome or before you started at handsome full time? Car salesman. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Used or new? New.
0: Yeah, I lasted one month, sold zero cars. I've never failed at something because i froze or just couldn't couldn't do it you know there's never been a thing I've, I've never given up um unless i wanted to give up and something about selling cars something about trying to sell a ford station wagon to people who don't want to buy a ford station wagon is just not something i c- couldn't do it i felt
1: i felt actually done which is the only time that i ever really felt like that i understand and that's saying something. We've gone through some some quarterdeck experiences very similar to to each other. So that's saying something to, to characterize it that way. So, all right, let's leave people with this. How, how can people get in touch with you, John? What's the best way for folks to connect with Handsome or connect with you uh, individually?
0: The best way is is LinkedIn for me. I mean, my email address is john at handsome.is, but uh, John Rocher, LinkedIn,
1: I will, I'll see it and we can connect. I like it. All right, well, what we found... Is for those of you who are listening. John just talked about uh, a few things. So if I, if you're going to go back and unpack uh, this particular episode and think about what the some of the the biggest takeaways are, um, it sounds as if the power of focus is probably one of the biggest takeaways. In conjunction with, as you come away with some observations from focusing, ask somebody about it. Ask somebody who you trust and ask them if they're looking at it from uh, from the same perspective. Because multiple perspectives and the and the value of focus. Uh, is what helped John grow and scale. I don't want to mischaracterize where his business is at, but I just know his headquarters is located in downtown Austin on the east side of 35. That's right. That's saying something. So, John, I appreciate you. For those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, anything that you want to leave these folks with before we jam, John? I think
0: you said it best. It's about focus. For me, it's focus. And for me, it's throwing yourself into the pile and uh, and having a a sink or swim mindset. Uh, Those are the two things that have really
1: stuck with me. That and some people just like their bed made differently. Yeah, that's actually a a big takeaway. So if that analogy doesn't make sense, then go back and listen to the beginning of the episode. So if you're here, then you understand what we're talking about with bed making. So John, we appreciate you. For those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, you got new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. What John talked about, we call don't be a beta. We call get some wins. Simply, it's just a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, hey, listen, you got you to be able to put yourself out there. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say, but you can learn by being willing to take risks. You can learn to say it a little bit differently so it's more palatable next time. You can also learn to listen instead of talk. There's a lot of things that you can do, but you got to be willing to go out and take some action, even if listening is the action that you need to take. So John, we appreciate you. And he told you exactly how to get in touch with him. Handsome.is. Is that also the website for folks to go to? It is, yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, handsome.is. So if those of you who wanted to build some mobile experience, if you're an experiential marketing business, or if you have an element of your product or service offering that you'd like to take to a mobile direction, John's who you want to get in touch with. So with that, we are done. Have a good rest of the day. John, we will talk to you after a bit. See ya. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Uh, you bet.